Hey, this is Ken Finnan from Capital Advantage Tutoring, and I'm in my kitchen this time. So again, I'm Ken Finnan. I am here to help you get past the SAE and try to do this in the best way possible. So again, if you like what I'm doing, please hit like, subscribe, and share. If you think this stuff is good, check me out live every Tuesday and Thursday night on YouTube, 8.30 p.m. on my channel, Capital Advantage Tutoring. And we're heading into anti-money laundering, the fun stuff, anti-money laundering. Okay, so the U.S. Patriot Act. So let's start with the three phases of the money laundering. First of all, when they're coming in and they're putting the money in, that's called placement. That's basically taking money from your illegal activities and putting it into the system. Basically, you're buying securities, wiring, stuff like that to clean the money. You ever see a movie where they're washing money? That's what they're doing. They're putting some layer you want to watch a movie about it, watch Ozarks. That's a great little movie. It's a TV show. Now, you put the money in. <clears throat> then layering it is doing transactions, like wiring it around the country, not around the country, but to different countries, stuff like that. You're wiring it to confuse, to kind of make it a little fuzzy, okay? So basically, a lot of times what they're going to do is they're going to put it in, and then they try to – how do they do it? So they're going to put money in in less than $10,000. They're going to put like $8,000 in. 4,000, 6,000. Why do they do that? Well, because anything over 10 grand of cash put in or out, why money orders, uh, cashiers, checks, cash, um, anything over 10 grand, they have to report called the CTR, currency transaction report. So a lot of people try to keep it under that limit. But again, placement is putting the money in. Layering is creating some distance, either wiring money to other places or in and out, trying to confuse everyone. And then integration is when you take the money out. So integration is like, say I put money in here in the U.S. and then I sent it to Iran and then the Cayman Islands and the Isle of Man and then Ireland and then France and then wherever else. And then I go to the Cayman Islands and I withdraw. That's the integration where I take it out and I start doing things. I'm basically putting in a bank account or I'm buying stuff with it. That's integration. So the three steps, the best place to find it, placement. That's where you have all the reports. Placement is when they put it in. That's the best chance to find the, the money laundering. Then layering is creating distance. And then the integration is when they bring it out and use it in society because it's cleaned money. So FinCEN is the organization. It's basically part of the treasury. That's job is to fight money laundering and stuff like that. So under the bank is under the bank secrecy act, they have certain transactions that they're going to have to provide reports on and stuff like that. And they're using the cops and all that. So first of all, every time somebody puts in or withdraws a cash or cash equivalent by one in one day, of over 10 grand, you follow CTR. Now, if if I put in, if I walk in and I put in three grand in the morning and then another three grand in the afternoon and then four grand later in the afternoon, that's over 10, be reported, okay? Now, if somebody tries to put in and you, you can tell the customer it's not a big deal, you're not screwing his life up. I mean, thousands and thousands of these are done every day. Now, when they do these, you tell the customer, again, not a problem all the time they don't now the problem is is that sometimes people try to put them in like say i'm a money launderer who evil guy dark glasses coat all that stuff um i'm gonna put in like eight grand on monday and then eight grand on tuesday and then eight grand on wednesday so i'm actually structuring it to set seem like it's below the limit that would be a violation so what would happen is if you saw somebody doing that and they didn't have a reason like you have to know your customer. Like if I'm running a laundromat and I make seven to $8,000 a day and that's what I deposit, I'm not doing it on purpose. That's my job. That's what I'm doing. I'm not violating. But if they, if they don't have an answer for why they're doing it, well, then you do, then you do this, then you, it's called structuring. And then normally what you do is you'd file a SARS, a suspicious activity report. 
And a SARS is going to be filed when you think somebody is doing something wrong, suspicious. Anytime a transaction or group of transactions equals five grand or more, then you would file it. You can do it for insider trading or if you think they're structuring, stuff like that. Anything you do, if you think what they're doing is illegal or it might be illegal, you fill out a suspicious activity report. If it's more than five grand, you file it. Now, remember something. They have real rules on this. You have you have up to 30 days to file it. You're not allowed to tell the person that you file it against. You can't tell them that because you just can't. It's actually, you can get in a lot of trouble for doing that. And understand something. You are about to screw that person's life up. So that's why they give you 30 days because you have to go through lawyers, checks and balances, all that stuff to make sure that you're doing the right thing. So the point is you file this, you have 30 days to do it. You don't tell them about it. That goes to either the Department of Justice or the FBI or whatever, depending on what you're reporting, which isn't your problem, whatever your activity reporting, whatever that is, that's going to go to that department. And then they're going to investigate and you are, you possibly are screwing that person's life up because they're going to get investigated. Okay. And they'll never know it's you. They're not supposed to. So every firm has to do an AML, anti-money loaner and compliance program. They, basically, it has to have policies and procedures to, to detect and report suspicious activities in money laundering. You have to have a person in charge of it. It does not have to be a registered principal or a registered rep. It just has to be a person in charge of it. And you have to have an ongoing training program, and you have to test it. You have to have an independent auditor come in and test the program to make sure it actually works. And it's all risk-based. Like my firm, we don't really deal with cash at all, so it's very limited. They come in and they go, oh, you don't take money. Good job. Boom, there you go. We don't touch money at all. So that's where that's coming in. So it's all risk-based. So that, um, they might call it a stress test when they check it. But like a bigger bank that actually handles cash will have to come in and really test it. They have an independent order come in and check it. Okay, we also, to help, is called the CIP, Customer Identification Program. Basically, it's broker-dealers have to have a program to verify the identity of anyone who opens a new account. Like I just tried to open an account at Robinhood. And they make me take a picture of my ID and send it, and then they match it, and then they come back with like a little quiz where they go, were you associated with this address in the last 20 years or something like that? They're doing things to verify. There's no actual rules on what, what you have to do, what the, the process is, but you have to have a program in place. And you let your customers know that there's a program in place. You also have to make sure that you have a program to make sure that they're not terrorists or something like that. <clears throat> also... You, every new customer or every new client or every new employee comes in has to be run through OFAC. The OFAC list is, and you have to do it ongoing. Um, an OFAC list is basically the Office of Foreign Assets Control. Basically, it's it's a list of people that might be terrorists or criminals or or other kind of people like running a, a, a bad countries. Okay, um, you don't know the list. You just, there's a free website. You go on the OFAC list. You type their name in. And if there's a match, you have to let them know. If there's no match, then you just record it and go on. So again, FinCEN is helping with money laundering. They have a CIP program. That's what you have to do. Identify and verify the documents. And then you have to run their name through OFAC to make sure they're not terrorists or criminals. Now, the verification part. Under FINRA's rule and CIP program, you have to verify the identity within a reasonable amount of time. So it's really like 30 days or so. So you're going to yeah, basically you have to get from the customer the name, date of birth, their regular address, not a P.O. box, and an identification number, whether it's a passport number or taxpayer IDs, Social Security, employer identification number, something like that. And then what you're going to do, you can use what they call documentary versus non-documentary. OK, so like documentary is like getting a driver's license or passport. It's an actual document. 
non-documentaries like re references from another bank or something like that, or um, or like a credit report, something like that. Those are non-documentary methods you can do to identify and verify. And then at the end of the 30 days, you're going to send it to the customer to have them expect it. Okay, an exception to the taxpayer ID number thing is if, if they've applied for it and haven't gotten it yet, then you, what you'll do is you just take a copy of their um, application. Under CIP, record retention is you have to keep the records of the method to verify the identity for five years after the account closes. So as long as, so basically what happens, I come in, I have an account with you, we keep the records of how we verified my account. After I close the account, you have to keep the records for another five years. Probably not really tested, but good to know. To discourage money laundering, they have the penalties are pretty freaking big. Okay, so basically, if you're found guilty of money laundering, you could be sentenced to up to 20 years and a, and a basically a half a million dollar fine per transaction or double the amount of what the fund is. So if you money launder a million dollars, it could be $2 million. Okay, if you launder 50 grand, it could be 500,000, whatever is going to be greater. They want to make sure that you don't do it up to 20 years. Okay, so Reg SP, I try to remember super privacy. So what happened is, is protecting your non-public information. That's the key of it. I'm not going to go heavy into it. You could always read the chapter, but it's about keeping your personal non-public information private. That's what we have to do. We have to send you a notice when you open the account. And then every year after, we have to say we have a program and what we can and can't share. If you don't want people to share any of your information, we have to give you the ability to opt out of that sharing. And it has to be easy. It can't be some difficult, super thing where you have to write a letter. It can be as easy as, you know, here, press this button and opt out. Maybe an e-signature, something like that. We do have to keep it. We have to make it somewhat easy to opt out of it, not really hard. Okay. We also have the re red flag program, which is basically you have a written policies and procedures to protect people's identity, to see if somebody's theft, stolen ident somebody's identity. So you have to have a policy procedure that red flags like, if, oh, if this happens, it's a red flag. Doesn't mean it's a violation, but it means it's been escalated and we have to deal with it. So that's kind of what it is. It's the whole purpose of it is to spot suspicious activities to prevent people from getting their assets or identities. Under SP and FTC, like if I'm a broker dealer and I'm held in a fiduciary responsibility for an issuer, let's say I'm helping underwrite do something for Tesla and I get the list of shareholders because of, through that program when I'm helping them go public or advising or something like that and I get a list of all the shareholders, I cannot use that list to solicit them for other things. I, that would be a violation of the fiduciary responsibility because if they're giving it to me under one aspect as helping them IPO or raise money or whatever it is, not IPO, I guess it'd be a, a follow on. I can't then take that list and give it to my salespeople and say, listen, we know they own the stock. Go call them and see if you can hit them up. Can't use it. That list has, that has to be like an information barrier between the two. Okay. Also client notification. So basically you have to give your clients certain information. The big one to remember, remember, this is the big one statements okay as statements have to be sent quarterly at a minimum your statement has to have a description of all your security positions all the money you have and any activity sent to last statement at a minimum that's purchase sales interest debits charges all that stuff has to be on the statement at least quarterly everyone thinks there's this monthly requirement there isn't a lot of firms offer that if there's no activity they just do quarterly but if there's activity a lot of firms just say you know what if there's activity we're going to do monthly. There's no requirement for that. The only requirement is quarterly. Remember that the only requirement is quarterly. Now, every time you do a trade, you have to get a confirm, okay? Every time you do a trade, you have to get a confirmation. 
boom. Okay, basically at or before completion of the transaction, which is a settlement date. So really by the second day, business day after you do a trade, you have to get a confirmation. What is it gonna say in here? Kind of makes sense. What we bought or sold, the number of shares or the principal amount, that kind of thing, the date. We don't have to put the time of the transaction, but you have to say, listen, if we don't have the time, you can get it if you want. We have to have the capacity, whether it's an agent or your principal. Basically, if you act as an agent or a principal, okay. The commission markup markdown, you have to put on there, any kind of cost. If it's a bond, the dollar price and the yield, which would never be current yield, it'd either be yield to maturity or yield to call. Whether security is callable, and any, and you have to basically say that if you want more information, just ask for it. And we have to put the settlement date on. That's so let me go through that real quick again. Okay. So confirmations, what you bought or sold, how many you bought, the date, time if they want it, the capacity, agent or principal, commission markup markdown, the dollar price and the yield, not current yield or um on bonds. Whether it's callable or not, and the settlement date. That's the confirmation. That has to be sent to you by settlement after any trade. Okay. You can send that stuff to an investment advisor. Or like if you if I have a client, if I'm a client and I say, listen, I want you to send it to my advisor, my lawyer, something like that, you can do that as long as I get it in, as long as I give it to you in writing. Okay. There we go. Now, holding the mail. Everyone gets a question on this. That doesn't mean you're the broker dealer is holding my utility bill. It means the statements because you have to send the statements every quarter. So if I call you up and say, listen, don't send me the statements for a little bit, that's fine. You can do it for three months without even a good reason. And you can do it as long as you want. You can do it as long as you want. But there has to be a reason. So if I call you up and say, listen, hold it for a year, that's fine. I just got to give you a reason. It doesn't have to be a good one. It just has to be a reason. Okay? So there's no time limit on how long we can hold we can usually hold it for three months without even a good reason. Anything over three months, you need a reason. Can you send shit electronic? Of course you can. If the client wants to get electronic, you can do it, and you don't have to do paper then. I All my broker-dealer accounts, not that I have that many, and they're crap, um, they get, they're sent by electronic. I don't get paper statements. Everything's electronic. You can do that. You don't have to have a backup paper. It's just straight up. If they want electronic, they can do it. We're happy to do it. Okay, communications. Again, it's not super deep on this test, but you have to know. Here's the nitty-gritty. Correspondence. Remember, this is stuff that has to do with securities that you're sending out to your clients. As a broker-dealer, if you send it to 25 or less people, retail, well, 25 or less retail, in a 30-day period, it's considered correspondence. Does not need to be pre-approved. This would be like emails, text messages, IMs, stuff like that. 25 or less, not pre-approved. The principal will review it on an ongoing basis as like as risk determines. The next one up is institutional. Also sending it to like hedge funds, broker dealers, banks. If you don't think retail is going to read it. So if you're sending it to institutions, banks, broker dealers, individuals, with at least $50 million, stuff like that. Basically people acting on the behalf of institutional investors, 403B, 401K, all pension plans, basically an institution. If you're sending it to an institution, then again, you don't have to get pre-approved. You have to be reviewed. Both of those correspondence and institutional are reviewed after the fact, not pre-approved. The thing is, you must make sure that they are trained. So you can't just give a guy, let him be registered and say, send all the emails you want. They have to be trained. There has to be some sort of ongoing training, annual, whatever, explaining what they can and can't do. But if you do that, 
then you only have to read some of their emails, like percentage or risk-based. The last one is retail. Retail has to be pre-approved. Hear me out. Retail has to be pre-approved, which means you're, if you, so what is retail? Retail is if you're sending it to more than 25 retail people in a 30-day period, okay? Boom. Anything that, boom, it's, it's going to have to be pre-approved. So, so television, billboards, magazines, newspapers, website stuff, all that stuff. Maybe sending out a mass email, sending out a mass IM, uh, chat rooms, all that stuff. Now nah, let's talk about that. For a second. So all these things have to be pre-approved. But a chat room or a public appearance where there's interactive, you can't pre-approve everything they say. So they have to be trained, and then they're going to review it after the fact. Also add into this social media stuff, okay, like Facebook, Instagram, stuff like that. A lot of firms, since they can't monitor it, will just ban it. Remember, even if FINRA allows something, your firm can ban it. Remember that. Okay, good. Okay, making phone calls. This is the big one, cold calling. The big thing you have to remember is that you can only call between 8 a.m. and 9 p.m., unless that person has given you permission to call outside that time, 8 a.m. to 9 p.m. of their time, the customer's time, okay? So basically, what are you going to have to do? You make a phone call. What do you have to do? You have to tell them your name, who you work for, basically telephone number or address of the place you're working, and the reason that you're calling is solicit a purchase of securities, okay? You must do that, and you have to be clear. You can't mumble it or speak like me where you speak too fast. Now, if the person says, don't call me, you have to put them on what they call a do not call list within 30 days. It's reasonable, but it can't be more than 30 days, okay? Basically, and then they're on that until they come off. You cannot harass people. We know that that makes sense. You can't keep calling and calling and harassing them, okay? Basically, you also have to make sure that, again, I think this is super deep, but you have to make sure that when you make the phone call, it's not blocked as an un, like if you see an, like a, like an unknown number come up and if a broker dealer, they can get in trouble. It has to basically... Um, say who you're calling from. It has to be a name. It can't be blocked ID. Also, you can't use a pre-recorded message unless the caller has given them prior written permission. Boom. Okay. Okay. If you have an existing relationship with a customer, they will understand if you call outside the window. Okay. Basically, if you already have a relationship with that 8 a.m. to 9 p.m. doesn't really apply. That's for making phone calls. Okay. For making phone calls to new people, 8 a.m. to 9 p.m. is for making, soliciting new business. If you have an ongoing relationship, you can sometimes call outside those hours. There's also a thing called the National Dual Call List written by the FTC. Anyone who is on that list, it's a National Do Not Call Registry, really. People can do that anytime they want. You are not allowed to call people on that list. Unless, there's always an unless, unless, that person is given prior written consent. So if I, if you're on the do not call list, but somehow I sent out a flyer and you have emailed me back and said, yeah, give me a call, then I can call you. Okay. Customer protection rule, it's really just saying that we have to keep your shit safe. So we have to have a program in place that keeps your security safe and make sure that they're segregated and not combined with firm money. That's as deep as this goes. Okay. So customer free credit balance. Nobody knows what the hell it is, but I'm going to tell you. It's so easy. It's extra cash. It's uninvested cash. So if you sell your 1,000 shares of GameStop and you have a lot of money and all, and you haven't invested yet, that's called the free credit balance. If it's there, what we have to do is we have to send you certain notifications, which is not tested. 
but we just have to end. But what, so the way we figure it out is what we do is we sweep all your money into a mutual fund at the end of the night. We sweep it into money market funds at the end of every day so nothing happens where it's uninvested money. Okay, Finner also has a couple other rules. This is just so boring that you have to disclose your financial condition. So basically, I use that word so much, you just have to send your balance sheet to customers every six months. So the broker dealer will have to send to their customers a copy of the balance sheet every six months. Any customer, anyone, customers, anyone who has funds or securities in possession of the firm. Also, you have to put up a fidelity bond, okay? A fidelity bond is based on insurance policy that covers the offers of employees against forgery, alteration, all that crap. So basically, a fidelity bond, God, if I say basically one more time. So a fidelity bond is what all FINRA members have to have to help cover, it's an insurance policy really, to cover the officers, employees in case of fraud and criminal activity, counterfeit stuff, stuff like that, okay? If you, if your, if the broker dealer's fidelity bond is canceled for any reason, they have to notify FINRA immediately. Okay, after 9-11 and Hurricane Sandy, and now with the pandemic, they figured out that broker dealers weren't really well prepared for catastrophes. So they created this business continuity plan where all broker dealers have to have a business continuity plan. A BCP just has what's going to happen in case of the unexpected. How do we handle it? Who do you call? These are the numbers you got. All of that stuff basically to help keep us running. Like a lot of times what they do is a lot of firms have a backup, a backup um, location. Like when I was on the stock exchange once a year, once every other year, the firms would all of a sudden you see nobody working there, but they were working from like some undisclosed location in Brooklyn or something like that. So the point is you just have to have a backup plan. You don't have to file with FINRA, but you do have to make it available if it's requested. Okay. And you don't have to file it with, you don't have to send it to your customer. You just have to tell them that one is available, that we have one in place. Okay. So this is record keeping. Again, I do not think this is on this exam, but let's do it. Okay. Remember, okay. Complaints are four years. That's the weird one. Complaints are four years. Complaints are four years. Complaints are four years. And customer identification program is five. Now, anything to do with creating the company is lifetime. The corporate board minutes, the partnership agreements, the, the charter resolution of creating the broker dealer is lifetime. Three years is almost every almost everything else. Almost everything else is three years. Trade tickets, confirm stuff like that. U fours, U fives, employee records. Now, what is six years? The way I remember it is the, the way I remember it is for six years, and the book's a little different, but mine works. Blotter. Remember, big BGSCS, so it looks like big sacks. Santa, if you believe in Santa, carries six big sacks. So over his shoulder, he has six big sacks. Why six? Because six, six years. Remember this, big sacks. B for blotter. B-G-S-C-S, big sacks. It's phonetic, okay? I wish I could write it here. B for blotter, which is a trade blotter, a list of all the trades. G for general ledger, that's all the money going in and out. That's the B and the G, that's the big. Sacks, S-C-S. S is stock records, all the records of all the stock ownership, stuff like that. Boom. C is customer information. That's all the cover about the new account stuff, all that stuff. And then the last one is statements have to be held for six years. Hey, thanks for listening to Blue Collar Finance. Please take a chance and check me out on YouTube under Capital Advantage Tutoring. 
tons of videos that'll help you. And I do a live Q&A every Tuesday and Thursday night. Thank you. Have a great night.